with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody. I am really excited to introduce you to Josh Lindblom, and he is currently a pitcher in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, originally drafted by the L.A. Dodgers in the second round of the 2008 MLB draft. He is in his 15th season of professional baseball. Over the last 15 years, Josh has played for the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Rangers, the Athletics, Pirates, and Brewers. He had a brief detour to Korea, where he spent five years playing in the Korea Baseball Organization. And if I'm not mistaken, you won some awards there, sir. You're being humble. I did. (laughs) While playing, Josh completed his undergraduate studies at Indiana Wesleyan University. He received a master's degree in biblical studies and has just started a doctor of business administration program through Columbia International University. He has been married for 12 years to his high school sweetheart. They have four kids, Presley, who's nine, Palmer, seven, Monroe, five, and Murphy is one years old. Although baseball has taken them all over the world, their home base is in Lafayette, Indiana. Sir, thank you so much for being with us today. And maybe what are a couple other things listeners should know about you before we jump into the conversation? What do you think? I'm always weird with bios. I I think that that kind of covers it. I guess I did a pretty good job writing it. Hopefully over the next 30 minutes, they'll find some more out about me and <laughs> they can just kind of discover discover along this path. So I met you through our, our mutual friend, Ethan Braden, mm-hmm. and I had a really fun conversation with Ethan a couple weeks ago about 
kind of curiosity and just learning. And one thing, as, as we've gotten to know each other a little bit, one thing that just has just really stood out for me about you, uh, well, oh, there's a couple things. Uh, first, your faith. I mean, that's you're, you're grounded strongly in your faith. And so maybe we can get there. Uh, second is, you know, amidst all of this, this career in the MLB and 15 seasons, and you, but you have this insatiable curiosity and this, this lust for learning. I think you and Ethan have a joke about you're you're a voracious reader and you're learning. And all of his books have very, very pretty covers and flashy covers, and all of yours are are you know theoretical <laughs> philosophical works from 77, as I understand it. <laughs> they're they're boring. They're boring. I joke I joke I joke around with him when I say if it was written before 1900, it's or after 1900, it's probably heresy. So I don't read this. <laughs> I just this week released an episode with a scholar at Tulane and and she was she's an expert in Plutarch. So I learned a lot about Plutarch. So he would be in that camp of, you know, pre-1900. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I'll have to listen to that one. Yeah. Well, so tell me about tell me about this this curiosity and this just this passion for learning and how you've how you've systematized mm-hmm. it and really built it into your your way of being, even when you're on the road multiple months out of the year? So, you know, I think it, it just comes back to development, really being and recognizing that I'm, I'm a work in progress and that I'm not to where I want to be, but that doesn't mean that I don't stop working. And I think it, it really kind of, it started out of an event on the, on a baseball field. So I was, it was July. I think I can get the date right. I'm pretty sure it was July 1st or 2nd. I remember because we had fireworks. And second pitch of the game, I get hit with a comebacker in the leg, and it breaks my tibia. Oh, wow. And so here I am. I'm in my sixth or seventh year of professional baseball. Very little major league service time. And I don't have a college degree. If this was something serious, what do I do with my life? Yeah. I had no answers to that question. And ever since really honestly that day, I think I have, I reapplied for an undergraduate program the next week. Wow. And ever since that day, it's just kind of sparked this, I guess, like you said, this lifelong pursuit of formation, character development, leadership development, knowledge acquisition. And it's it's been fun. It's been a it's been a fun process. So take me through that undergraduate degree because I imagine portions of that are you're you're taking courses on the road. You know, I've been following J.R. Smith on Twitter mm-hmm. and he he's re-enrolled in school. He finished his career in the MBA mm-hmm. and re-enrolled, but now I I imagine you're taking courses during season sometimes. Is that accurate? All the times. Wow. <laughs> taking courses all the time. So I finished I finished my undergrad, I finished my masters all in season. So going out and trying to get guys out on a Wednesday night. And on Thursday morning, I've got a 15 page research paper that's due (laughs) the next day. Meanwhile, I've got, you know, at the time we didn't have four kids, but I've got a wife, I've got diapers to change. I've got other responsibilities. (laughs) And so, I mean, talk about, talk about time management, talk about all of the routine stuff. I've realized over the course of the last, I guess, 10 years or so that my only routine is that there's no routine and I just find time to finish stuff. And those are all formative moments for me. And I sit 
where I am today. And I realize that I'm the person that I am because, because of that. And you've just started a, a doctorate and that's, I'm mm-hmm. so excited to talk a little bit about that because yeah. you're continuing the journey, but what was it about mm-hmm. being in class that sparked for you? You get into those first few classes and is it just like mm-hmm. a whole new world is kind of being opened through the coursework in these different programs? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think when I went back to college, I thought that I was going to get the answers. I wanted, I wanted to be the answer man. I wanted to know why. I wanted to know the answers. But what I've realized over, over this kind of academic journey is that academics provide you with the tool sets to ask better questions. Wow. And with the ability to ask better questions, come better answers, but better answers then beget more questions. <laughs> so just that skill set of asking questions. And I think that's why the I continue to be on this journey of call it, you know, knowledge acquisition is that I just keep asking these questions that I want to find answers to that I think are powerful and, and formative. Well, you know, sometimes they call a PhD is just piled higher and deeper. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at times, especially even over the course of starting this podcast, I had been a faculty member since 2006. And week after week after week, Josh, I just kind of have my behind kicked as I engage in Mm -hmm. conversations with people from all over the world with all of this expertise. And it's just been such a fun process because it's systematized my learning and it's challenged Mm -hmm. me each and every week to just stay, stay fresh and stay current. But you said something in there that I think is so wise because at times I think as I'm working with clients and as I'm working with people, there's a conception that leaders have answers. And I really believe Mm -hmm. that at times not always, but a lot of the time, especially when it's some of these gnarly challenges that people are trying to navigate, sometimes the leaders have the great questions for the team to work because mm-hmm. there are no concrete, there are no concrete answers. It's what's our next experiment? What's our next path forward to see if we can yield new and different results, right? Leaders are really kind of the people that are like two steps ahead in the fog they've decided to charge ahead, just maybe it's one step further. And like you said, those questions, they're willing to embrace that, that mental fog, that, that fog that we all have when we're trying to figure out a concept, the leaders are just the ones that are a couple steps ahead. Oh, I love that phrasing. That is incredible. Did you just make that up? I did on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) That, that is, I'm going to, that's the episode title. I think that or you've there also you said a work in progress, which is another contender mm-hmm. for me right now. But uh, two steps ahead in the fog, you're exactly right. Because even as I'm in the room with some senior leaders in Fortune 500 organizations or family-owned businesses or small nonprofits, there is no person with the answer. It's, mm-hmm. again, to your point, a couple steps ahead in the fog, and we've identified some of the questions that we need to ask and what are we going to do? How how are we going to tackle this? How are we mm-hmm. going to make sense of the situation? I had a really fun conversation with Brian Barron of the Cleveland Guardians. Gosh, this might be six, seven months ago. We really focused mm-hmm. kind of on the name change. But, you know, they've been in the news recently, really for kind of, you know, you have Tito Francona trying to figure out 
okay, our payroll is basically, mm-hmm. you know, what some people's salary, what Frankie made in a year is is the, mm-hmm. the Guardians payroll now. And how do we put a winning team on the field? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a fascinating puzzle. It's not easy yeah. work and it's a challenge. It's an adaptive challenge that no person has the answer, but we're going to experiment and see how far we can get, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they, you know, you look at teams like, uh, like the Guardians, the Rays, They've been really, really successful by thinking outside of the box and trying to draw as much value out of as they can out of players and fitting them within kind of like that mold of, you know, this is what it's, it's funny when you you can always tell when a player has been with the Rays or when a player has been with the Guardians just because of their development process. They they do such a good job, probably a good as job as anybody in baseball at developing talent Mm. because they know they can't play in the bidding wars game. So the thing they have to be really good at, like you're talking about is developing talent. You know, the guardians look at the pitching that they've had, the position players, like they just do such a good job of it. Well, that's the whole notion of two steps ahead in the fog. And and so Mm -hmm. I think now, as you look at the doctor of business administration, talk about that. I mean, when we were emailing back and forth the other day, I think you had your first day. Is that accurate? Yeah. First day, uh, <laughs> more, more questions. I've been writing a paper on, on executive presence, the importance of executive presence. I thought that was, I thought that was neat, but it's been good. This program is more practitioner based. So it's not dissertation. It's a applied doctoral project. And so the building of a business or some type of service. And I, I think I have an idea and it goes back to when I got hit in the leg, really. It's kind of the end of this. I say the end of the process, but the beginning of the process. My degree, my PhD was more practitioner oriented. I mean, we we had a dissertation at the end, but everyone that I was going to school with was working full time. So they were at NASA or they were at IBM or they were a superintendent of a school. Mm-hmm. And every, every day they were looking at this content through the lens of how do I implement this tomorrow and when I get back mm-hmm. to work? So I love the fact that your degree, you're working towards something, you're building, you're you're exploring, but it's going to result in something which may be some of those next steps, correct? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can rewind again to when I got hit in the leg and the last like, 10 to 12 years of my career has been about shortening, to use a metaphor, shortening the bridge. Mm. So when I look at athletes, when I look at athlete transition, my entire focus and goal has been shortening the bridge that I need to step across when I'm done playing. Wow. And so all of the degree programs, my undergrad, my master's, and now the doctorate have essentially shortened that bridge. And now it's like a little creek that I just have to jump across. And I see I see so many athletes when they're done playing. I mean, the conversations that I have with athletes on a weekly basis where they are confused and they don't know what to do when they're done playing. I think this project is going to be about shortening that bridge. How do you come alongside of athletes and not just say we have a career transition program, but provide mentorship, provide coaching, provide degree programming, provide all of these things where athletes can, in effect, just shorten that bridge while they're playing. So that's going to be, I think it's good. That's going to be the focus of kind of the research and the, and the program and project. I absolutely love it because I think you're right. 
I love what you just said. I mean, how do we come alongside folks and help them prepare for that transition, shortening the bridge, which is another candidate for the episode title here. (laughs) You're just dropping them. them. (laughs) But I mean, you know, what a wonderful mission. What a wonderful Mm -hmm. mission. This isn't a knock on professional sports organizations, you know, professional sports teams, organizations, they're not in the you know, human resource development business. They're in the business of, of winning games. And to shoulder that load as an organization, like that's a hard, that's an entire department in an organization. As I thought through this, this is going to be a really bad way of explaining what major league organizations are, but, you know, professional sports organizations, but they're essentially asset management companies. And what I mean by that is, you know, you when you have an asset, you build the asset up. When it's high, you use it. When it starts to drop, you got to get rid of it as quick as possible. And it's it's horrible to explain it that way, but that's kind of the way that I view sports teams. And it's like I said, the, the goal is not to develop human resource. The goal is to win games so it makes sense. Yep. And I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about coaching, and they asked me, what's the – in a coaching interview – What's the, if you're going to hire a coach or a manager, what's the first question that you would ask? And I said, the first question I would ask, and this goes back to kind of my theological studies. The first question I would ask is, what is a human being? Hmm. And when somebody has thought deeply about what a human being is and why that matters, that fundamentally changes the way we interact with other people. It should at least fundamentally change it. When I look at this program, when I look at this project, when I look at an athlete, you know, I see, I see a human being who's been created in the image of God and therefore has inherent infinite value. I, I struggle because when in business you hear about scale, you hear about breadth of impact, and I keep coming back to depth of impact. Are we really making a difference in people's lives? And not just trying to get massive amounts of exposure. Let's talk about that. Let's go to depth of impact. What do you see? What are some opportunities when it comes to depth of impact? Love that phrasing. This has never (laughs) happened. There's like five, I've written down five potential titles here. (laughs) Maybe these are maybe these are just the chapters of your first book. Chapters. There you go. (laughs) That could be. I I I need those. I think to start, I kind of have this little anecdote that I've come up with. So information educates us, experience inspires, but information experienced in community transforms us. And so when I look at organizations, when I look at, you know, call it developmental programs, usually information or experience is elevated. So we have content that is the best content. We have information and we can educate you. But if information was the answer, we would all be the people that we've wanted to be five years ago. <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago, Josh. <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Exactly. 25. Um, so we've over, we've kind of overestimated the ability of information to change us. Then the second is experience. Come to leadership conference XYZ come to this three-day retreat and experience a life-changing event. I've been to those and I've left them inspired for a couple days, 
but that inspiration wanes off. And so experience can't be the answer because experience doesn't last. And the one ingredient that when is added to the equation, for me at least, that's been transformational is community. When I have taken in information throughout an, a shared experience in a community of people, that has been transformational because there's encouragement, there's like-mindedness, there's mutual benefit to everybody. And so when I think of opportunities, I just taught a class on the Christian athlete and we had 12 people go through it. I did some one-on-one coaching with the athletes and I don't have any data on this, but I I feel like the one-on-one group experience, the people that put in the time and effort, I think if you were to interview them and ask them, they would say that it was really transformational for them. So it's when you add all of those pieces to the puzzle, as I think about opportunity is you have a group of people, you have an affinity group. So you have athletes. What is the content? What is the programming that they can, they can walk through together? Is that a certificate program? Is that licensure? Is that, you know, some type of character development or leadership development program? Is it an entire undergraduate program? That doesn't matter. It's kind of plug and play, but who is walking with them through this program. In my mind, I think it'd be really cool. Obviously, there's two years of work that needs to be done if it even works or not. But in my mind, I I think it does. Well, it sounds like you have a pretty clear vision of at least as you start your studies and you're exploring things like what is executive presence, where you're starting Mm -hmm. your studies and beginning to explore these different dimensions. I think Mm -hmm. what's so exciting for me is that you can start piecing together elements of a curriculum, piecing together elements of what you think is the critical information for people. Mm-hmm. Just to underscore something you just said, my dissertation advisor, his name is John Worgen. I'm going to send you a book. Okay, Josh? It's one of the most important books I've ever read. But John, I did a podcast with him and that podcast episode is called It Has to Be With Others. In all of his research, and I've heard this from a multiple scholars that learning with others and and being together in community and learning from the different perspectives, learning from the different lived histories, having that experience and that shared experience, it's just a core ingredient. Obviously, it can happen otherwise, for sure. But if we're talking about transformational learning experiences, that community and that cohort and being with others, I think what you're saying is backed up by some pretty solid research, right? You have the content, you have experiences, you have a community, and all of those are going to help an individual develop and grow. Those are some of the major ingredients for sure. Yeah, no, I think those communities look different too. My growth really accelerated when when I realized I couldn't do it on my own. When I started to seek out mentorship, coaching, other relationships, of people that I viewed their lives as something admirable and something that I desired or wanted for my life. Yep. And then allowing them to speak into me. Yeah. Allowing them to help me along the way, allowing them to to show me my blind spots, areas where I needed growth or I was maybe not thinking correctly. And so I think there's, you know, there's kind of this, you know, go back to Ethan and, and I, a big 
a big core value in my life is congruency. And, and he kind of like hammers down on this. He's like always his, his marketing mind is like, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? Like you need to be clear, you know, there's envisioning a, a way of life for me. There's envisioning a way of life. That's that I see desirable. There's engaging, there's engaging that person in relationship. Um, and then there's the empowerment, which I think we miss a lot of times where we kind of hold people's hands and we, we go into like tell mode yeah. rather than empowering people to now live this life that they've seen as desirable, which yeah. I think is, is that, is that next step? It would seem to me that then another element of this is what are you grounded mm-hmm. in? Now it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. necessarily your faith, but you have your faith mm-hmm. that grounds you. Correct. Yeah. You know, this comes, I was actually, uh, in the executive presence paper that I'm writing Heinemann, maybe in a article, she talks about the seven dimensions of leadership intelligence. And the last, the last one was, I think she calls it consciousness intelligence or conscious intelligence, okay. which is basic, which is basically worldview. Okay. Um, and she, I can't remember the quote exactly, but she says something to the effect of it's, it's recognizing that, you know, everything happens for a reason and there's purpose and plan behind all of our actions. When I think about faith, whether it be Christian faith or whatever faith it is, and even people that, that are, that don't have, have faith, maybe atheists or agnostics, what we're talking about here is worldview. And I had a professor in my master's program tell me, one time that when we're developing a worldview, whatever that worldview might be, we have to account for the worldview that that accounts for the most possible data with the fewest possible difficulties. And so every worldview, no matter what it is, there's going to be data that supports it, but there's also going to be difficulties. As I look at my life, as I look at my experience, as I look at the information that's been provided for me, the worldview that I have settled on that's articulated through the Bible and through the biblical authors is the Christian worldview. So when I look at what is a human being, when I look at what is wrong with the world, when I look at my purpose, our purpose as human beings here on earth, and when I look at what the destiny of humanity is, the Bible, the biblical authors, the scholars who study the Bible, that is kind of, that serves as the foundation for the way that I view and then interact with the world. And we're always trying to make sense of things that happen in our lives. And and that's what worldview ultimately does. And so, you know, our daughter was born with a congenital heart defect and she's had, she's had two open heart surgeries at five years old. And I'm not saying this to like, make people feel a certain way for me, but that's an event in my life that I had to make sense of. Yes. And I'll never forget this. I'm writing my, my final undergraduate paper in the hospital next to her bed, right after she had her first surgery. And my entire paper was on the book of Job, which is all about suffering. Wow. So here I am, I have a piece of information, the book of Job, uh, I have an experience where I just walked with my daughter through her having open heart surgery, and I'm in a community of people that are also writing their papers. And so the, the controlling question of Job 
is, I think it's Job 1.6 or 1.7, somewhere around there. The question is asked, does Job fear God for nothing? And here I am sitting, everything that I've, that I love about my daughters is stripped away at this point. And she's probably not going to be healed. She, she has half of a heart. So there's not going to be some miraculous, not that I don't believe in miracles, but it's probably not going to happen. Am I still going to fear God for nothing? Not for what he can do for me, but just for who he is. So when I look at worldview, I've got to make sense of what this experience. And so what I know is that there is a God who's created the world good. Sin has infiltrated this world and we now live in a broken world. So two plus two does not equal four anymore, which is the case in my daughter. Would I love for her to have a whole heart? 100%. I mean, I would give anything to give her a whole heart, but that's just not the reality that I'm living in. But there is a picture that is painted through the prophets in the Old Testament, through Jesus teaching in the New Testament, through the book of Revelation, where God is is remaking this world into something new. And this is where hope comes in, because I have hope that one day, even though probably not in this life, my daughter will have a whole heart. Hmm. When I look at how my faith practically plays out as I see the world. And you know, you mentioned something earlier that's been on my mind when you were talking about the acquisition of knowledge and the questions that we have, that knowledge is really just being able to synthesize and connect dots. Mm. And so I think what's hard is that the acquisition of knowledge is so like interdisciplinary that when you think about leadership development, there's, you know, psychology, there's sociology, there's all of these other disciplines. And if you just sit in your one corner of the world, you're never going to find all the answers. Yes. And so that's what's been so powerful about the faith background and theological background is that like, I'm able to see stuff and be like, wow, like, yeah, like that's, you're talking about that doctrine. This is that teaching. Oh, I see how neuroscience and psychology play into all of this. Mm, a work mm-hmm. in progress, yeah. right? You know, your worldview yeah. kind of found the, the foundation is that Christian worldview. And uh, even in that space, you are a work in progress. We are all mm-hmm. works in progress. Yeah. And and when it comes to knowledge acquisition, we are works in progress. And mm-hmm. I loved you how you said, look, you know, we're I always refer to it as a puzzle that mm-hmm. that I find, whether it's human development or leader development, but just personal growth. It's a topic that continues to fascinate me because I mm-hmm. think there's a number of different components that I don't know we have a true understanding of mm-hmm. yet. And one of the one of the first conversations, I'm probably actually the first conversation we had, one of the resources you sent me was Robert Keegan. And so there is a there's a parallel to that in theology, a uh, guy by the name of J. Robert Clinton, who has light, it's, he calls it the lifelong leadership development paradigm. And it mirrors very closely how people are shaped through the people, places, and events in their lives throughout time. And there's a really cool exercise that he does. It's kind of like a, a timeline, personal timeline, where you go back identify people, places, and events, and then process those items. And then you're able to distill out the lessons that you've learned, 
the core values that you've learned and the deposits that have been made in your life. And so that's that's the work in progress. And looking back, it makes me realize that all of those seemingly insignificant moments have been adding up to the person that I am today. And I also know that going forward, and when I have that foundation, I can walk into a situation, I can meet a person, I can be exposed to an event and realize that I might not see the the effects of this event, but I know that it's shaping me. If I'm willing to do that work and process the item, when we talk about personal development, when we talk about leadership development, spiritual growth, at the core of what all of these are, I think, it's about making the invisible visible. And so when we think about becoming better leaders, we have all of these invisible thoughts, ideas in our minds, invisible plans and goals and actions. And what leadership development does, what character development does, what spiritual development does, is it draws those invisible attributes or thoughts and tries to make them visible. Leadership development, character development, spiritual development is about embodiment. You know, to use a a biblical or theological term, it's about incarnation. It's about becoming more of who we think we are. Yeah. Um, and what and what we should who we should be ultimately. Yep. And and that becomes that's a that's an interesting challenge when there's so much pulling at us externally, mm-hmm. good, bad, and ugly, that can get us off track from mm-hmm. being our authentic selves and yeah. who we're supposed to be, and and that that work in progress work. Mm-hmm. To your point, yeah. are you slowing down, reflecting, making sense? connecting with others and using those experiences for opportunities for that growth and for transformation. Mm -hmm. Josh, this is, uh, we're going to wind down. (laughs) The Wi-Fi has been pretty good, pretty cooperative. I, and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to continue this conversation. Can we talk again in August of 2023? Put it on my schedule now. Yeah. I mean, I want to, A, kind of hear about your adventures and how you're thinking about things. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll both even listen to this before we get into the next conversation. And and I want to continue this dialogue because I think, like I said, and I'm going to send you that book by John Worgen, Mm -hmm. but I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity here for us to kind of continue to explore. I just have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect that, uh, you know, that one critical incident kind of sparked something in you and you have continued that journey. I just think it's incredible. It's so admirable, sir. No, thank you. I thank you. I, I told you when you asked me to come on, I felt kind of inadequate coming no. on here. You PhDs and, you know, it's like, man, why would you want me on here? <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, have dropped more like little knowledge nuggets than any other guest I've had. So (laughs) shortening the bridge. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Really quick before we close out uh, something that's caught your attention lately, something maybe you've streamed, listened to read. What's something that stands out for you in recent times that's kind Mm -hmm. of caught your attention. It could have to do with what we've discussed. It could have nothing to do with what we've discussed. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, uh, what I've been reading lately, uh, there's a book 
written in like the 60s or 70s. It's called Three Mile an Hour God. Okay. So obviously I'm a busy person. There's not, we're all busy, but it's the thesis of the book is about slowing down. The average human being walks at three miles an hour. And when we walk at that pace consistently, we're able to see the things around us. There's some reflections in this book, some essays, and it's been really eye-opening. It kind of goes back to one of the first chapters is about development. And it's frustrating, but we develop at like a three-mile-an-hour pace. <laughs> the, the development program for life is not an eight-week program for, <laughs> for a new you. Yes. Like it's six, six it's minute an, abs doesn't work. Six minute abs does not work. 30, I mean, 35 year abs doesn't work. 35, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm still waiting, <laughs> but just, you know, being in the moment, being able to slow down and recognize and look around and be thankful and grateful for kind of the journey that, that you're on. It's been, it's been a really eye opening book, especially as I've added more to my plate with this doctoral program. Well, I will place that in the show notes and so listeners can access that. And sir, I'm very, very thankful for your time today. Thank you for stopping by. We're going to talk again in a year. I want to hear about your adventures and, and new insights and new questions maybe that you've come across. Maybe that's what we'll do is we'll just explore questions that are some of the big questions. I love it. Okay. Be well, take care. And uh, as always, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Josh for that wonderful conversation. Uh, A work in progress, asking better questions, two steps ahead in the fog, shortening the bridge, coming alongside another, depth of impact, making the invisible visible, synthesizing and connecting the dots. So Josh, I'm so excited for our next conversation. I think we're going to go with that questions format. Maybe we each come with three and just see where the conversation goes. That'll be a lot of fun. And we'll, of course, we'll check in on your studies as well. But to end today, just a couple things. First, International Leadership Association. If you're interested in attending that conference, there are links in the show notes. So check out those links and would love to see you there. And the Prometheus Project, an opportunity to engage in some learning with the Immunity to Change activity. Just another incredible learning opportunity that you can take advantage of. As always, everyone, thank you so much for checking in. If you like what you hear, share it with others. Subscribe. We are plowing forward some exciting conversations in the can already that are just going to help us further explore this topic of leadership. Take care, everyone. Be well. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.